Welcome to the Boggle Thief. If this is your first adventure in Boggle, I suggest you stop here and go back to book one, The Battle of Boggle. And what a battle it was. And if you've enjoyed that, then welcome back to the weird and wonderful world of the Boggles. Things are already a bit strange, and trust me, dear listeners, they are going to get a whole lot stranger. So, let's not dilly-dally any further. Let's crack on with the book, and what better place to start than Chapter 1, The Foods Alive. At the bottom of the garden of Number 4 Badger's Bottom, Captain Pancake stretched his little pancake arms, released a little sugary burp, and looked out of the playhouse window across the dewy garden. The sun was peeking its head above the horizon as if it was playing a joyful game of hide-and-seek, only badly. The sun was rubbish at hide-and-seek. It's going to be a beautiful day, he said to himself. Life is good. I like it here. Life for Captain Pancake was just hours old. The day before he'd been a dry, lifeless supermarket pancake, passed its sell-by date and left on the compost heap to be eaten by a peckish pigeon, a famished fox or a ravenous rhinoceros. Yes, you heard correctly. The Boggles in England were home to a dozen rhino. Worse still, he could have been left uneaten, abandoned, destined to not fulfil the purpose of his creation, to slowly rot away and to turn into stinky sludge. But then something had happened. A yellowish-brown substance had seeped out of a cracked jam jar and slowly dripped through the heap of garden and food waste, fizzing and bubbling with all it touched and giving off a slightly odd smell, like a rotten egg that had been put in a blender with rhubarb crumble and asparagus and turned into a stink-bomb smoothie. Whatever that strange liquid was, it seems to have magical powers as everything it touched stirred and came to life. Captain Pancake was not the first. There were others before him, some affected by the yellowish substance more than others, and not all were good. As he gained consciousness for the first time, he had a hazy memory of being stepped on by half a lemon with a sour and angry face, who spat a pip at him as he passed. As he came round, he heard a voice, and as he found his little pancake legs and worked out how to use his pancake arms, he saw that the voice came from a very small and grumpy-looking pirate, no bigger than two inches high. The captain looked round to see Mad Pete the two-inch pirate still snoring, hugging his empty miniature bottle of whiskey and talking in his sleep. Take that, you rapscallion, he murmured. The captain had only just learned the rules of backgammon that night, but had managed to take one game off the little munchkin. He had lost the other seventeen. Just a little kiss, mumbled Pete, turning over in his sleep. The captain let out a little giggle and Mad Pete stirred and then opened his one good eye. The other was still asleep. What are you looking at? said Pete grumpily as he rubbed his eyes, yawned the almightiest of yawns and stretched his little pirate arms. Ah, good morning, old Bean, and what a lovely morning it is! And what does this wonderful day hold for us? said the unnaturally enthusiastic Pancake. Pete stared at the jolly captain quizzically. Pete thought the name captain suited him as he spoke as if he were some posh soldier from olden times. The world is our oyster, old chap. Time waits for no man. Adventures and stories, all that. That's what life's about, adventures and stories. So what's it going to be? Badgered the captain. Well, today is going to finish with battleships and a pint of cider. But before then, get your shoes on, because we're going to walk about. Follow me, said the grumpy pirate, clambering out of bed and putting on his little pirate booties and hat. 
and off they went leaving the safety of the playhouse at number four Badger's Bottom. As I'm sure you know by now, dear listeners, I do love a fact bomb. I've got one here about Battleships. Did you know Battleships was originally a pencil and paper game which dates back to World War I? It wasn't released as a plastic board game until 1967. Mind you, that was still far, far before I was born. I'm not as old as I sound, you know. Right, onwards and upwards to chapter two. Three months later. It was early summer and the weather was glorious in the villages of Great Boggle and Lesser Boggle in the heart of England's green and pleasant land. The sky was as sky blue as blue can be with only the occasional little fluffy cloud moving across the skyscape like a lost sheep looking for a succulent cheeseburger. The birds tweeted and flew merrily around looping and swooping and whooping and pooping until poor little Colin the Crow flew into a patio window and knocked himself out waking up just in the nick of time as Tom the Cat from number 10 was licking his lips and buttering some bread to make a juicy bird sandwich. Summer was Alex Abington's favourite time of year because summer meant cricket season and Alex loved nothing more than the sound of leather on willow. He also liked the cricket teas and the sandwiches, particularly the tuna ones. And Alex was good at cricket too. He was only eight years old but he played for Boggleville under 11s and he could throw a ball further than anyone else in the team something he had put to good use in winning last term dodge battle against St Bertie's, the Great Boggle Primary School. How's that? Alex shouted. Not out, said Jenny. Nowhere near. Jenny Henry was Alex's best friend and often stayed next door to Alex with her granny duck whilst her parents were away saving the world or whatever it is they did for a day job. I've had enough cricket, let's get a drink, said Jenny. And the two best pals returned to their picnic blanket under the shade of the big oak tree in Boggley Park. The park was a buzz with bogglers enjoying the great outdoors. Harry Basher was playing football with his brothers. Granny Duck was feeding the ducks for a change. And Jedi Jim was doing Jedi training. Or at least that's what I think he was doing. He was standing in front of a park bench trying to move it using the power of his mind. But he didn't seem to be having much luck. He'd got excited when a nearby crisp packet moved. But that might have just been the breeze. Not that there was much of that either. It was a glorious Saturday morning and Alex's little bro Joe was already on the blanket scribbling furiously into his notebook with a look of intense concentration whilst Daddy-O had wandered off to the edge of the park to buy ice cream. Alex's pet dog, Ted the Slobber Pup, was asleep in the sun drooling into the grass as he dreamt of being King Ted of Squirrelland. And as king, he had been given a special pair of anti-gravity boots that meant he could chase the squirrels up trees. And if he couldn't catch them, he could at least pick some juicy apples and gobble them all up until he puked up. Ted did love an apple or 27, but Daddy-O tried to stop him from eating them. Ted thought Daddy-O was a right old spoiled sport. He'd be sure to fart in his general direction later when Daddy-O was watching TV. Fancy a game of your disgusting, said Jenny. Go on then, said Alex. Let's have a quick game, but I always win. You can't keep a straight face. The idea of the game was to make the other player smile or laugh. Laugh and lose. OK, I'll start showing no emotion starting now, said Jenny. You are more disgusting than having a slug up my nose, said Jenny as an opening gambit. Alex didn't flinch. It was his turn to respond. You are more disgusting than eating a poo sandwich with a slug up both nostrils, Alex retorted. Mmm, sounds delicious, Jenny said with a straight face. Can I order two? You're more disgusting than swimming in a shark-infested pool of sick, having just eaten a poo sandwich without the bread with a slug up each nostril and a mouthful of worms, Jenny said triumphantly. She was sure that was going to do the trick. 
That's nothing, said Alex, whose face showed no sign of a smile or laughter. I'll eat poo on toast, wash it down with a cup of sick, take one of the slugs out of my nose and let it live in my mouth forever, sleep in a sewer in a pile of rotten fish, and I still wouldn't be as disgusting as you. Alex was trying not to smirk. I'd rather kiss Gina Dismal than listen to any more of this nonsense, piped up Joe, while still furiously scribbling. And with that, both Jenny and Alex couldn't hold it in any longer and fell onto the grass, holding their sides, laughing. Gina Dismal was one of the Dismal twins, with her brother George. They were the roughest, toughest and meanest bullies in the Boggles, and had been on the losing team when St Cuthbert's beat St Bertie's in last term's dodge battle. They weren't pretty either. They had faces like the back of a bus, and not a fun bus or a party bus, a dirty, stinky bus that had cleanly written into the grime by a cheeky cheekster. Ooh, Joe loves Gina, Joe and Gina, up a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Alex teased, but Joe didn't rise to the bait and just rolled his eyes. And who do you want to kiss, A-bomb? teased Jenny. Granny Duck always says you're a nice boy. Lola Lashington, said Joe. What? snapped Alex, his cheap going little rose. Where did you get that from? That's rubbish. Why would you say that? No, Lola Lashington. She's over there. She's walking towards us, said Joe, pointing across the park. And she was. And that's the end of the chapter, dear listeners. But before we move on to chapter three, I've just thought of a joke. Why did the boy take toilet paper to the party? Because he was a party pooper. Get it? Oh, I'm so funny. Don't you agree? What? You don't? Oh, never mind. You know nothing. Chapter three, The Lashingtons. Lola Lashington lived at the old manor house in Great Boggle, the finest house in all of Boggle. It was old too, hundreds of years old, built in those olden times when all folk had to do for entertainment was to play I Spy and Hide and Seek, and the old favourite, Guess When the Candle Will Go Out. Indeed, it was rumoured the house was on the same site where old Bertie the Beautiful, the infamous instigator of the original Battle of Boggle, a thousand years ago, lived with his stinky wife, Dirty Gertie, who only washed once a month. Sometimes, if you stood at the end of the large and well-kept garden late at night, you would often detect a whiffy aroma in the air, and some would say it was the ghost of Dirty Gertie wandering about in at the afterlife, looking for somewhere to have a wash. Or it could have just been that the Lashington's dog, Wuffle, liked to do his business in the rosebeds, and when I say business, I mean poo business. As the saying goes, there's no business like poo business. Lola lived at the old manor house with her dad, Latham Lashington, who was some hotshot lawyer in the city of London. He was filthy rich and he liked to show it off with his love of all things flashy and expensive, the jewel in his crown being his bright yellow Lamborghini with super cool doors that opened upwards, not outwards. Lola was frequently embarrassed by her dad's excesses, but he was a loving father and tried his best to be a good dad even if he was a bit of an eejit. Only three things compared to his love of expensive things, and that was his love for his two daughters, Lola and Liza, his love of cricket, and his love for his old school St Bertie's. Latham just loved that school. Made me into the man I am today, he would muse. Stable of champions, what a place, what a place, he would recall fondly. As for the girls, ever since their mother had mysteriously run off when they were young, Latham had sport them rotten and given in to their every desire to compensate for his long hours of work and not always being there. Lola and Liza would often go days on end without seeing their father, relying on their nanny for cooking their tea and tucking them in at night. Nanny was wonderfully kind and a fantastic housekeeper and an even better storyteller. She was just brilliant at doing the bedtime story. 
Unfortunately, she was an awful cook, and Lola and her sister had quickly become very adept at disposing of the horrible mush she would serve up, which was barely fit for animal consumption, let alone humans. In the plant pots, down the toilet, under the sofa, no hiding place had gone unused. The chickens got the most, though. Was it a coincidence they had such enormous eggs? But now Lola was alone. Liza was three years older and had gone off to boarding school. She would frequently wander the rooms and corridors of the old manor house, bored and lonely with only her nanny and Wuffle for company. And here she now came, striding across the park towards Alex Abington. Alex thought Lola extremely prissy, and she was. Tall for her age, with shoulder-length blonde hair, she was both confident and independent for her age of nine and three quarters, over a year older than Alex. Hi Alex, hi Jenny, said Lola. Oh, hi Lola, I didn't see you there lied Alex, without knowing why. Lovely day, isn't it? I just saw your dad over at the ice cream van and thought I'd come over as I've got a favour to ask. As you know, it's the annual summer fete and cricket party next Saturday. As usual, it's the dads versus daughters match. Liza's at boarding school now and bringing a couple of friends, but I've got to pick the rest of the team. I want you on it. You too, Jenny. I've seen firsthand how good you were in the dodge battle and I'd like you on my team. Dad's all cocky this year. He thinks he's got a secret weapon, so I want to knock him down a peg or two. Do you fancy it? You get to come to the fancy dress party afterwards too. It's a mystical creatures theme this year. You know, goblins and elves and stuff. Yes, please, beamed Alex. Where there are stumps and a wicket, I'll play cricket. Bring it on, Donkey Kong. Great. Big Ed's in too. He's going to be the wicket keeper. I asked Pinky, but she said she'd rather pull her eyes out from their sockets and eat them with cheese and crackers. I think that meant she was a no, Lola said. I don't think cricket's her thing. Too much white and not enough pink. But I'm in too, especially that means dressing up afterwards, Jenny said. Fab, said Lola. I'll see you next Saturday then. Eleven o'clock start. Oh, and Alex, Lola paused. Don't call me Donkey Kong. She gave Alex a little smile and a wink and off she went. Alex blushed. Ice creams, get your delicious ice creams, said Daddy-O, carrying four whippy whipsters with chocolate sauce. Thanks, said Alex and Jenny together, grabbing the delicious treats. What? said Joe sternly. Chocolate? Do you know my position on ice creams is clear? Yes, yes, said Daddy-O. Strawberry is the king of ice creams, yada, yada, yada. Well, Sonny Jim, they didn't have anything strawberry flavoured, so I got you the same as everyone else. Take it or leave it, or it goes to Ted. Ted, who had been snoozing in the sun, dreaming of chasing birds, he had escaped from squirrel land through a hole in the fence, bolted upright at the first mention of ice cream and his name in the same sentence. He immediately let a big glob of slob drop out of his puppy chops. Ted was the hungriest, greediest dog in Boggle. He was a Labradoodle, which was part Labrador, part Poodle and part Noodle. And he loved nothing more than chasing and eating, or eating and chasing, or chasing whilst eating. He didn't really mind the order of his favourite activities, as long as he could do both. Lots. I'll take it, said Joe begrudgingly. Dogs aren't allowed chocolate anyway, it's like poison to them. Ted forlornly lay back down like a dog that had just been told he won a kennel full of juicy bones but has been buried ten feet underground and he doesn't have a map with a spot marked X and even if he did it'd be no good because he's a dog and he can't read maps but he does quite like to eat them. Daddy-O coughed in that annoying way grown-ups do when they're trying to remind you of something like to wash your hands after going to the toilet or to try not to blow out the village green again. Thank you, said Joe, acknowledging the cough, and as he took the ice cream, he looked curiously at the folded newspaper under Daddy-O's arm. What does that say? he asked, pointing to the front cover of the Boggleville Herald and the headline that read, Triple Whammy! Boggle Thief Strikes Again and Again and Again! By Verity Bones! 
the mysterious scallywag struck again. Two silver candlesticks were pinched from the church when Vic the priest was saying his bedtime prayers. A case of pink lemonade has been pilfered from the duck and cover public house and strangest of all. The naughty step has been nicked from St Cuthbert's primary school. This is the worst case of skullduggery thievery the Boggles has ever seen. Police Constable Useless is on the case, but doesn't hold up much hope of apprehending the dastardly deceivers. It just doesn't make sense, said the pathetic PC, chomping on his third donut of the morning. There's just no pattern to it, and it's making my head hurt. Yes, well it would, or it could just be the donutty sugar rush going to your head, you PC plonker. In the absence of a competent copper, this newspaper's very own super sleuth, Ferrity Bones, is on the case, and will not stop until the wretched robber is behind bars. You'll never guess what, said Daddy-O. I only just went and bumped into old flashy pants, Lathan Lashington, at the ice cream van, and he invited me to play on his cricket team at the Summer Fate. He's obviously got a good eye for talent. I always thought he was a good old chap. You always said he was a wally, Dad, said Alex. Oh, um, did I? Well, well, yes, maybe so. But a wally for a good nose for cricket talent, eh? You boys can come and watch if you like. You too, Jenny, I'm sure. Oh, we'll be watching all right, Dad, said Alex. We'll be watching you get out for a duck and crying into your cucumber sandwiches. We're on Lola and Liza's team. This match has got even more interesting. Well, don't cry when you lose, kids. It's character building, and I'm playing to win. There are still a few tricks in this old dog yet. I've got a mean googly and an underrated Chinaman. Bring it on, Grandpa, said Alex. This is going to be fun. Ted's ears pricked up, thinking he heard something about dogs and Chinese food, but he went back to sleep to dream of jumping down an enormous slide into a swimming pool full of noodles and chicken chow mein. Now, dear listeners, if you didn't know much about cricket, you'd be forgiven for wondering what on earth Daddy-O was going on about just then. In cricket, a googly is a leg spinner's prized weapon. It looks like a normal bowl, but it spins towards the batsman rather than away from the bat. A super sneaky way to try and get a batsman out, I think you'll agree. I do hope you like a spot of cricket, listeners, because there's certainly going to be a bit of cricket-based fun in this book. But alas, that shall need to wait until next time, for it is time to close. When you return, we'll be right back with chapter four. And my word, what a fantastic chapter it is. So until next time, dear listeners, I bid you farewell. We will meet again, I have no doubt, very soon. See you later, alligators.